0: following message from pastor kit johnson comes to you from life point baptist church in apple valley california where we pray that god's word is a real blessing to you amen well you can turn your bibles to romans chapter 8 and our text is verses 14 through 17 as you can see on the screen and um just a really important passage, one of those ones, like when I decided to preach through Romans, uh, this is one of the ones I was looking forward to getting to, and, um, and uh, excited to be able to preach it. But before I read the text, uh, without question, uh, two of the most important doctrines, precious truths uh, that were recovered uh, in the Protestant Reformation were the doctrines of eternal security and assurance of our salvation. Wonderful doctrines. And it's significant because uh, at that time, the, the Catholic Church taught and, and still teaches to this day that assurance of salvation is impossible. So, so everyone assumed that, that you can't know that, that you will make it to heaven someday and that God really is your Father because there's always the possibility that, that you could commit a mortal sin or, or that you would just fall short of what God demands and you would miss out on heaven. So, even though, up to that time, everyone called God their Father, they were never quite certain that God was their Father, and that they would be with Him forever. Now, that might strike you as a bit insignificant, but but those two doctrines, eternal security and assurance of your salvation, they dramatically affect how you relate to God how you worship God, and how you serve God. Because it's really hard to have a close relationship with someone if you're never quite sure that they love you and that they will always love you. But but the Bible teaches that God will certainly keep every one of His children. Jesus assured us in John chapter 10, verses 27 and 28, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give eternal life to them, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. Jesus assures us that he will save all of his sheep. And God doesn't just promise that that is so. He wants us to be sure of this salvation for ourselves. He doesn't want us to live our Christian lives just constantly wondering, does God love me today? Do I belong to God? Am I going to make it to heaven or not? No, He wants us to know that we have eternal life. And that's because insecurity erodes any relationship. We get that, right? Now, your marriage will never thrive as if you wake up every morning wondering, I wonder if my husband loves me today or you feel the need to earn His love on a daily basis. You know, your children well, well, children can't thrive if, if they aren't secure in their parents' love. A team will, will always struggle as long as the team members are not quite certain if they have each other's backs. So strong relationships demand security. And, and therefore, eternal security and assurance, and the assurance it brings are precious doctrines for a healthy faith. They are vital, and so it is a good thing that we're in Romans chapter 8, because Romans 8 is the preeminent discussion in the Bible on these issues of eternal security and an assurance of salvation, and today's passage is especially important for enjoying assurance that I am a child of God. So let's begin Romans chapter 8, verse 14. It says, for all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received a spirit of slavery, leading to fear again. But you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. So, so this passage is, is about the Holy Spirit's work to assure us of our salvation. And so notice first, the Spirit's ministry, that the Spirit leads, the Spirit leads. Now, now verse 14 is a transitional verse. And so it's closely connected to what we talked about last week in verse 13. So, so let's back up and read verse 13. Paul says, For if you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So, so God says there that everyone in whom the Spirit dwells, which is whom? That's everyone who is saved. Everyone in whom the Spirit dwells will put to death the deeds of the body, meaning that they will uh, put to death sin. They will grow in godliness. And they also look forward with certainty to the promise that they will live, meaning they will be with God in heaven someday. So, so the point of verse 13 is that the Holy Spirit's presence assures me, first of all, that I will grow in godliness. I will Persevere and press towards Christ. And as well, his presence assures me that someday I will live, I will reach glory. And verse 14 reaffirms that confidence. Again, it says, if you are being led by the Spirit, or if for all who are being led by the Spirit, excuse me, these are the sons of God. Now, we do need to think a moment about what it means. To be led by the Spirit. Because uh, a lot of times Christians use that language. I was led by the Spirit, or, or led of God, and, and they mean something, or they primarily jump to something different than what Paul is thinking of. Her. So specifically, when, when we think of being led by the Spirit, we, we tend to think about some kind of mystical direction, sometimes even a voice from God, you know, telling us you know, where to go to college, you know, which girl to marry, what career to choose you know, what car to buy, and that's what we tend to think of when we think of being led by the Spirit. Now, of course, God cares about all of those things, but they are not the concern of this passage. Now, rather, I mean, Paul has been talking about how the Holy Spirit sanctifies God's people, and as well, how the Holy Spirit provides assurance that I belong to God. So, so verse 14 is describing how the Spirit leads us into godliness. So you could think of it just like leading a horse. If you've got the, the, the halter and the bridle and all that stuff, I, I'm not a horse guy, but, but if you're leading a horse, I've led cows, so if you're leading a horse and you go straight, well, the horse goes straight. If you turn right, it turns right. If you turn left, it turns left. It follows your lead. It obeys your will. And that's the idea here that a person who is being led by the Spirit is following the Spirit's lead towards godliness. So he's striving to obey God's commands and the priorities of Scripture. And as he is striving to follow the Spirit's lead, or you could say walking by the Spirit, the Spirit empowers us to do God's will. He he helps us enjoy success. And it's really a very encouraging picture. Because holiness oftentimes seems overwhelming. And yet we can be encouraged today that God has not left us alone in the process of putting to death the deeds of sin. No, the Holy Spirit is with us. If He lives in your heart, He is leading you. He is working on you. And He is helping you grow godliness. You know, so when you begin to get off track and Veer over here. He gives you a yank and gets you back online, and that's a good thing. Sometimes you start to slow down and get discouraged, and He gives a tug and gets you going again. He is at work in your life, and He is directing you in the right path. So, so follow His lead and watch Him help you put to death the deeds of the body. And notice that as He does this, as He is changing you, We receive assurance that we are the sons of God, or or genuine believers. So so notice the logic here, right? I mean, God wants you to recognize His leading in your life, how He is changing you, how He is growing you, and as you recognize His leading in your life, you receive assurance that you are indeed a son of God. Now, Now that's really important. Because, you know, we're, we're all wired one of two ways. Some people only notice all the good things that they do. I mean, some of you, you just naturally see yourself as like, I mean, you're, you're, you, you have this, you know, self-image that naturally that's like you're way up here. And then there's other people that your natural inclination is to see yourself way down here. All right? And, um, and if you're one of those people that tends to see yourself way down here, you, you tend to notice everything that's wrong. Everything that's not where it needs to be, everything that's wrong. And, and so you don't notice the 95 things you did right, you notice the two that you did wrong. And you, 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 you're just focused on that all the time. And so what God is saying here is, is that we need to step back as Christians and recognize His sanctifying work. And as we see God changing us, we need to see the evidence of His grace in our life and draw assurance from it. And, and, and as we receive that assurance, we, we specifically receive assurance that we are children of God. Now, now, we use that kind of familial language as Christians all the time. We talk about God as their father, you know, some of you, God the father, God the father, God the father, you know, we're his sons, children, blah, 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 blah. blah. We use that language all the time. But I hope we never take it for granted that God is not merely our master and we are not merely His slaves. We aren't even just citizens of heaven. We are sons and daughters of God. We are His children. Now, I love how 1 John 3.1 contemplates this reality. It says there, See how great a love the Father has bestowed on us that we would be called children of God and such we are. I, I really like the fact that John adds that little and such we are at the end because he anticipates the fact that we might doubt that. That we might think that's too good to be true. So John just throws in there at the end, such we are. Yeah, this is not just a dream. This is reality. We are God's sons and daughters. And it's amazing that God is our Father. And so we need to see how the Spirit is leading in our lives, how He is forming godliness in us, and as we see the evidence of His grace at work in us, we need to be assured. Man, I mean, I'm not what I was five years ago. I mean, look at how the Spirit is convicting me of sin. Look how He is changing me. Look at how, man, I used to do this, and and I didn't care. I could sin all I wanted and bother me now. Didn't bother me. And now it really bothers me. And it's bothering me more and more. And as you see that work, it is evidence of the Spirit's work. And as you see it, you're assured, man, the Holy Spirit's there. And I am a son or a daughter of God. And then verse 15 expands on this incredible truth and describes how the Holy Spirit assures us that this is so. So not only does the Spirit lead, the Spirit also comforts. Look at verse 15. Verse 15 says, For you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear again, but you have received a spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. Now this verse paints a beautiful picture of our relationship to God, and it does so by contrasting a spirit of slavery with a spirit of adoption. And I'll just go ahead and mention uh, that, that spirit of adoption should be capitalized because clearly in context, it's talking about the Holy Spirit, uh, not uh, just your, your human spirit or some random spirit. But, but spirit of slavery should be in the lowercase because the Holy Spirit is never the source of slavery. No, the fact that Paul, and well, if you look at what he says, he says, you have not received a spirit of slavery leading to fear Again. So, so the fact that he adds the word again, I think, tells us that Paul is, 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 is co- encouraging the Romans to remember their pagan past. Most of, these be- most of these believers were Gentiles, and before they came to Christ, they, they served pagan religions. And, and, and pagan religions always operate based on fear or slavery. You, you, you don't worship the gods or serve the gods. Uh, because you, you love them, you do it because you're afraid of their punishment, or because you want something back from them. So it's always a master-slave relationship. It's never a father-son or father-daughter relationship. And of course, our relationship to God does have some parallels to slavery, right? So Paul begins the letter of Romans by saying that he is a bond servant of Christ Jesus. And chapter 6, verse 18, describes Christians as slaves of righteousness. So we never should stray too far from the fact that God is our master, and we must obey His will. But of course, God is much more to us than just a master. He is a loving Father. And so verse 15 reminds us that when we got saved, We we didn't just replace one uh, form, uh, he says here, of fear with another form of fear. We didn't just move from one religion of fear to another religion of fear. No, we we move from a religion of fear, he says, to a religion of adoption. You know, adoption, the doctrine of adoption has to be one of the most beautiful doctrines in all the Bible. I don't think it's a doctrine that probably gets nearly as much attention as it should. And so I'm going to throw up a definition of this doctrine. It's kind of a long one from the Second London Baptist Confession. So it's a little wordy, but there's so much here. So so it says, all those that are justified, God gives the grace of adoption, by which they are taken into the number and enjoy the liberties and privileges of the children of God. Have his name put on them receive the spirit of adoption, have access to the throne of grace with boldness, are enabled to cry, Abba, Father, are pitied, protected, provided for, and chastened by him as by a father, yet never cast off, but sealed to the day of redemption and inherit the promises as heirs of everlasting salvation. Now you could chew on that for quite a while, But but what I want to emphasize there is that adoption is not slavery. You know, a slave is merely a servant of his master. But an adopted child is a full member of the family. He is no different from, from any other son or daughter. And as the confession says, God pities, protects, provides for, and chastens us as a father and yet He never casts us off. I mean, just think about that. The moment you got saved, God fully received you into His family. Fully received you. As a father to a son or to a daughter. And, and, and in fact, we are such complete members of God's family that, that He says here that we can cry Abba, Father. Now, now that is a rather unique phrase that's used a handful of times in the New Testament that is packed with significance. So so what does it mean? Well, 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 Abba is is the Aramaic word for father, and it would typically be a word that a young child would use uh, for his dad, and so it communicates a close personal relationship. Think of how a child would, would relate to his dad. And it's, it's combined here uh, with just the, the general Greek term for father, and uh, there's not really any particular significance of it. It's just the normal Greek word for a father. And, uh, but what makes this phrase significant is, is not so much the meaning of the two terms, but who it is that coined this phrase and when it is that he used it. And you might know the story. So Mark chapter 14 Uh, Verses 34 through 36 describe the scene that takes place in the Garden of Gethsemane. Just moments before Jesus is arrested and just hours before his crucifixion. And, And Jesus says to his disciples, My soul is deeply grieved to the point of death. Remain here and keep watch. And he went a little beyond them and fell to the ground and began to pray, if it were possible that the hour might pass him by, speaking there of his crucifixion, and he was saying, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. it was a powerful moment between God the Father and God the Son. And just imagine the disciples being just within hearing distance of this. They're hearing Jesus talk to God the Father this way. And they don't comprehend in the moment all that's going on, but, but, but here is Jesus in, in intense agony. And He is crying out to God the Father as, as the eternal Son of God. And He calls Him Abba Father. And so, I mean, you think about what it would be like for the disciples to, to listen in on this. And then how amazing is it that they take this I mean, just incredibly reverent moment. And they turn around and they say that we as God's adopted children can address God with the same language that Jesus used in His moment of greatest need. And it's absolutely incredible. And what, and, what is, and what God is telling us here is that we are not second-class citizens in the family of God. No, we are fully adopted into His family. And sometimes that seems too good to be true, doesn't it? I mean, God is my Father like that? Now, certainly we're not equal with Jesus, right? I mean, He is the eternal Son of God. But, but God really is our Father. And we can address Him the same way as Jesus. You know, but the reality is, is, as I just said, sometimes that sounds too good to be true. You know, sometimes we sin. Sometimes we just look at ourselves and, boy, we're not what we think we ought to be. And, and Satan begins to tempt us to believe that this is not really true. I, I can't really talk to God the way Jesus does. I, I, I got to be a few rugs down from him. There's no way that a sinner like me could speak to God as my Father. And sometimes the darkness of our sin, sometimes the weakness of our own flesh overwhelms the light of God's promise and our faith becomes very weak. And, And you know, God would be totally just to just be disgusted with us and say, what a loser! Like, I told Him right here to call me Abba Father. He needs to just get over it and do it. And yet, as a father, God has fatherly compassion. Psalm 103, verses 13 and 14 say, As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. God knows that you are but dust. He knows that you are weak. And, and, and just like you know, a, a father does not run from his child's weakness but towards it, our Heavenly Father runs with compassion towards our weakness instead of away from it. And He sends His Spirit. What, what Paul is saying here is that He sends His Holy Spirit and His Spirit empowers us to cry, Abba, Father. So, so Galatians 4.6 takes it a step further when it says um, uh, that because you are sons, God has sent forth the Spirit of His Son into our hearts. And the Spirit cries, Abba, Father. So, so the connection seems to be, Galatians 4.6 says that the Spirit makes this cry. And as the Spirit makes this cry, Romans 8 says that we follow suit. We make this cry as well. We utter to God, that He is our Father. And that is so encouraging because God didn't just provide salvation and even give us strength to believe the gospel initially. No, what verse 15 is saying is that His Spirit continues to strengthen our faith in the promises of Scripture. So that we believe God's promises. We believe in His love. We believe in the promise of adoption. And because of the Spirit strengthening us to believe these things, we then draw near. And we cry out to God, Abba Father. So when you make that cry, and maybe, I mean, I don't know if you use the language of Abba Father or not, but, but when you talk to God as your Father, that is not just you doing something because wow, you've got really strong faith and you know the Bible. I mean, when you come to God with the spirit of this verse, it is because the Holy Spirit of God is at work in you, causing you to believe these things and to believe they are true for me and to express them to God. That's incredible. And so that's why I'm calling verse 15, the spirit comforts. Because whenever I cry out to my Heavenly Father, it is not just an expression of my faith. It is evidence of the Spirit's work to help me believe what I would never believe on my own. I mean, how many man-made religions talk this way? They don't. This is a work of God's Spirit. So praise, the God, praise God for the doctrine of adoption. That we are God's children. And praise the Lord for the ministry of the Spirit that takes something that that would seem to be too good to be true and and equips us to believe it. And then verse 16 expands on this work of the Spirit and tells us that the Spirit testifies. So look at verse 16. It says, The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. Now, this is a verse that has always fascinated me. And in particular, I've said before in various contexts that when I was younger, I went through a, a, a several periods of severe doubt about my relationship to God, doubts about my salvation. And, and unfortunately, my confusion about this verse added to my doubts rather than dispelling them. So, so specifically, I remember you know, going through a period of doubt and coming across this verse and trying to understand the assurance of salvation. And this verse says that if I'm saved, the Spirit will testify with my Spirit that I'm a child of God. So, I'm like trying to listen. You know, where, where 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 is he talking to me? You know, is he is he testifying to me? And I would really try and search my feelings and search how you know just by what I felt inside to, to feel the Spirit telling me that I was a child of God. And I wasn't looking for an audible voice. But it wasn't too far from that. And I don't believe I'm alone. I think many Christians have wrong assumptions about how it is that the Spirit testifies with us and how He accomplishes this ministry. And so understanding this verse is crucial to correcting that problem and thinking rightly about assurance of salvation. But before we get there, we first need to set this verse in context. So notice that verse 16 is closely connected to verse 15. I mean, essentially, what's going on here is that verse 15 said the Holy Spirit gives us confidence to address God as Father. And then verse 16 comes along and really just expands on how the Holy Spirit enables us to cry, Abba, Father. So the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit That we are children of God. So so verse 16 is explaining how the Spirit causes us to make this cry. And and more broadly, how the Spirit helps us know that we are children of God. So verse 16 is describing the Spirit's witness to give us assurance of salvation. And, And what does He do? Well, Paul says He testifies with our spirit. Now again, you're thinking, well, what in the world is that? And my younger self, and, and many believers assume, that this testimony, again, is anchored in feelings. It's, it's almost a voice. I'm sure there's many Christians out there that would say that it is a voice. You know, and, and so there's just all sorts of, of, of ideas out there about how the Spirit works in us and, and how He prompts us. You know, uh, For example, just a few weeks ago, um, Pastor Tim and Dust and I were at a, a meeting with uh, some, some other believers uh, from around the high desert, and, and several people just kept saying over and over that God told them this, and God told them that, and God told me this. And, and, and I've never been comfortable with that language. Because how do you know that that's God telling you that and not something else telling you that? Yeah, because the reality is, is that all of my feelings... And that's really... I mean, they, didn't, they weren't saying they heard a voice. They were saying they felt a strong urge, right? They felt a strong urge. But, but all of my urges, every feeling that I have is interwoven with the flesh. So, so how can I, with 100% accuracy, know what is God telling me something and what is me telling me something? Yeah, you know, I mean another example is you know I've heard Christians you know before make uh, very odd choices, make a decision, and you look at the decision they make, and you kind of scratch their head, and, and that was odd, and and they'll say something like, "Well, I didn't have peace about it." You know, so so even though the decision seems illogical, irrational. They had this feeling that it wasn't right, and so they didn't act. And the question that I would pose to that person is how do you distinguish between sinful worry and a prompting of the Spirit of God? That's a really difficult issue to, to, to navigate. And so, and so, if you want to hear from God, if you want to hear from the Spirit, you don't fundamentally go to your feelings. No, if you want to hear from God, God has spoken to you in His fully sufficient Bible. And so, and since the Bible is objective, clear, and fully sufficient, we should understand verse 16 as, as not just talking about some like random, like, you're saved, coming from the Holy Spirit. No, we should understand verse 16 as, as essentially describing the Spirit's illumination of Scripture. Now, now, there is an emotional element to this, right? I mean, believing that I am a child of God is emotional. Like, confidence is an emotion. So, so there is, like, there, there's a piece of, of the puzzle of verse 16 that, that's a little bit hard. I mean, I, you know, I, I'm a, I, I like math. You know, I loved, you know, I liked physics and chemistry. I like things that are tangible. And there's a part of this verse that's not tangible, you know, and it's not an equation. So, so, so there is an emotional side of this verse that makes minds like mind uncomfortable. But, but that emotion that it's describing, that confidence it's describing, is fundamentally rooted in what the Bible says. I mean, after all, where do you learn to cry, Abba, Father? Is it, you know, someone that's just totally ignorant of the Bible, just... Randomly like Abba Father. I mean, no, you're not going to cry Abba Father unless you've read Abba Father in this book. And so just even that, that one statement is a statement that is rooted in the Bible. So the Bible tells us that God is our Father. The Bible tells us that God is, that we are his children, based on believing the gospel. So it is the truths and promises of Scripture that ultimately tell us that we are the children of God. So so, so verses 15 and 16 are not describing some existential, emotional moment. No, they're describing how the Spirit takes the truths and promises of Scripture. As we read the Bible and understand the Bible, and and the Spirit opens our eyes to understand more and more of what the Bible means, He, He helps us to believe it is true. And, and not just that, illumination means that the Holy Spirit helps me believe that it is true for me. Not just that God is love, but the Spirit illumines me to understand that God loves me. So, so notice, I mean, for example, this mean, notice Paul's prayer in Ephesians 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. That's essentially illumination, all right? So so what does He want the Spirit? He he wants you to be enlightened. Why? So that you will know what is the hope of His calling, what are the riches of the glory of His inheritance in the saints, and what is the surpassing greatness of His power toward us who believe. Now, now are any of those three things new information that just randomly pop into your brain because the Spirit tells them to you? No. No. I mean, those are all things that the Ephesians had learned as they had heard the preaching of the gospel and that we have contained for us in the Bible. So the Ephesians did not need more revelation, but they needed the Holy Spirit of God to enlighten them or illuminate them to to the reality of revealed truth. They needed these things that they knew in their heads to work down into their hearts and to transform the way they lived. And so do we. We don't need more revelation. We have all the revelation we need right here in the Bible. And and, and so what we need is we need the Spirit then to come alongside and help us understand it, believe it, and apply it. So what do you do if you're struggling with assurance of salvation? And how can we all grow in our appreciation of God's love and our security in Him? Well, the answer is read your Bible, meditate on your Bible, listen to biblical preaching. Talk to brothers and sisters in Christ about the scripture. And as you do pay attention to what the Bible says about the gospel and about the promises of the gospel and the character of God, his faithfulness and his love. And as you do those things with a heart of submission towards God, the spirit will illuminate the scriptures. You will read a promise of God and the Holy Spirit will testify with your spirit. That's true. And that's not just true, that's true for you. You are God's child. It comes through the Bible and the Spirit of God opens the truths of Scripture to us and causes us to understand them and believe them. So so don't make any of this more complicated or weird than it should be. Read your, read your Bible. You know, and pray with a psalmist Open my eyes that I may behold wonderful things from your law. And then as you do that, watch God create assurance and mature your faith. So, so, so praise the Lord that God has not left us alone to believe his word. You know, our faith and our understanding are oftentimes very weak, but the Spirit of God indwells us. The Spirit of God keeps us, and He is always expanding our vision of the riches of God's glory and the surpassing greatness of His power, as Ephesians 1 says. He's always doing that. So give thanks for the Spirit's testimony, And, and don't go looking for a voice. Read your Bible Pray for the Spirit's help and watch Him do incredible things. And then finally, so so we've seen three just uh, awesome ministries of the Spirit. And then finally notice in verse 17 that the Christian hopes. So verse 17 says, And if children, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. Now, now this is another transitional verse, all right? because verses 18 through 25 are going to describe the incredible inheritance that is awaiting us in glory. Verses 18 through 25 describe heaven and and the redemption of our bodies and all that that's coming. And and what verse 17 is doing is it's linking our our confident standing as God's children with this great inheritance that awaits us. So, So you can see the connection. We're children. That's what he just talked about. We are God's children. We're adopted into his family. And if we're God's children, we are heirs of God. And and that fact, the idea that we are heirs as God's children, uh, just just offers a a good and different perspective on heaven from from what we sometimes think about. When you get to heaven, you're not simply going to be a a resident in the city of a great king. You're not just going to be a member of of a huge, glorious place. No. I mean, we will be in our Father's home, enjoying the riches and wealth of our Father as His sons and daughters. And the emphasis of verse 17 is on the fact that we will certainly receive this inheritance because we are God's sons and daughters. And if you're a son... You are an heir. That is the, the, the airtight connection that he makes. And so God will not fail. I mean, heaven is just as certainly ours as if we were experiencing it at this moment. Now, Paul does add a qualifier, doesn't he? He says, if indeed we suffer with him, so that we may also be glorified with him. And I do want to emphasize that that is a genuine qualifier. All right, I mean, Jesus warned in Matthew chapter 10, verse 33. Whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. So we have to remain faithful. And Romans has talked a lot about the fact that we must remain faithful. But Romans 8 has repeatedly said, the whole point of verses 1 through 16 is that we will, because the Holy Spirit is, is with us, keeping us, preserving us, and changing us. And so considering the context and the emphasis of the context, the point of verse 17 is not to scare you with the qualifier at the end of the verse. It's just a qualifier. The emphasis is on the fact that we will certainly receive our reward. So following Christ is not easy. The world will hate us. Christ demands that you lay down your life for the mission of the gospel. But the Spirit will keep us, and we will receive our inheritance. We will. And notice the assurance of verse 18. Paul says, I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. And so, it is hard to follow Christ at times. But Christ will overwhelmingly reward every sacrifice. We have a great inheritance, and it is certainly ours. So, is God our master? Absolutely. Christ bought us on the cross, and we owe Him everything. But we are not simply servants. We are also adopted into His family. God is my Father. And I hope you never take that word for granted. And we are His sons and daughters. And He is a compassionate Father. He remembers that you are but dust. And therefore, He gave us His Holy Spirit to assure us of His love. So we can know that God is our Father. We can rest in His love and His care like a child in His daddy's arms. And we can look forward with confidence to the fact that someday He is going to bring us to heaven. And He will keep every promise And we will be heirs, we will receive the full inheritance that is awaiting us. So I wonder, do you have that confidence? Do you know that you are God's child? And what is the basis for that confidence if you would say yes? Do you know that your sins are forgiven in Christ? Do you know that God is your father because you understand and believe the gospel? If you need to be saved, I mean you're hearing all this, and you're like, wow, that sounds great, but that is totally different from the Christianity I know. Totally different. Well, then we would love to just visit with you today and share from the scriptures what Jesus did on the cross and why the Bible says that and how the Bible says you can be adopted into the family of God and know Christ. If you have if you do not have that confidence, we would love to share the gospel with you and see so you receive Christ. And maybe, though, you have received Christ, but you just struggle with perpetual doubts about your relationship to God. And if that's you, I would urge you to get help. Get help. Because it is a miserable thing to believe that the Bible is true and to not be sure that it belongs to you. To fear hell. To fear the wrath of God because you're not sure of your relationship to God. And, and it might be that you need to be saved. It might be that you're, you're basing your assurance in the wrong things or you just don't know how to get there. But, but there are lots of people here who would love to, to just sit with you and talk with you and counsel you from God's word. And, and, and I hope you'll get that counsel because God wants you to know that you have a relationship with him. God wants you to know. And we want to help you find that assurance in the truth of Scripture, the testimony of the Spirit. So, so I hope that you will seek that out. So folks, praise God that God is our Father. And praise God that He wants us to know Him as our Father. Let's pray. God, thank You so much for this passage of Scripture. Thank You for the gospel. Thank You for the doctrine of adoption. Thank You for the indwelling Spirit Thank you for his ongoing work of illumination. Thank you for the gift of faith. Thank you for the hope of eternity. And uh, Lord, on and on we could go. And uh, Lord, I I pray that uh, you would use your word to uh, press these truths just a, a step deeper into our hearts. And Lord, for some, maybe there needs to be a radical change. I pray that you would save the lost. And I pray that you would transform how some view their relationship to you and pursue confidence. And so, God, help us to all leave with the assurance that we know Christ and and the tools uh, to grow in that, to walk with confidence before you, and to hope in eternity. And, uh, Lord, we are just so grateful for all that you have done and are doing. And we look forward to the day that we see you. In Jesus' name, amen.